everyone, and welcome to another episode of Indie Comic Spotlight, the show where we spend time looking at an ongoing series or graphic novel from a company other than the big two. The hope here is that we can do a deep dive on an indie comic you may have missed or give you a chance to talk about one of your favorites with us on social media afterwards. I'm your host, Tony Farina of DC Comics News and Fantastic Universes. I've been reading comics since I was 12, and while I love a good superhero battle, I gravitate towards indie comics and standalone graphic novels because they give artists a chance to connect with readers in different ways and tell stories they may not have been able to tell with traditional comics or traditional novels. I hope that you enjoy the show. This week, uh, I am joined by the man behind Jasper Reviews, uh, Matt Rathbone. Matt, thank you for joining me today. That's no problem. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. So um, now, the way I do this is it's always, you know, um, not always, almost always, uh, guest's choice. And so I reached out to Matt and was like, hey, come on my show. I love your, I love your YouTube reviews. You're so thoughtful. And he was like, well, I don't read a ton of indie comics, but you do read this one. So what we're going to do this week is The Walking Dead. And we'll get into that. Um, but before we do, let's tell everybody a little bit about your YouTube channel, what you do there, and like your comic book, or like if you are a superhero, by all means, please share that. But <laughs> your comic book origin story, how you came to be, I believe you say you're a 26-year-old nerd. I believe, is that your, is that yeah, your tagline? Funny, yeah. So um, I'm a 46-year-old nerd, so we all have our own way of getting there. So how did you get here? Uh, so I started reading comics probably about seven or eight years ago very sort of very so i started with the walking dead i i started watching the tv show and i thought hey why don't i give these a go and then yeah just kind of snowballed from there and just try and read i i try and read things i know i will enjoy i don't dive as deep as maybe some other people do read basically everything i try and do my research find what stories i'm really liking so i find that maybe i'm not got the most knowledge about comics but i do make sure i read what I enjoy and then uh, from there I kind of started a YouTube channel on that channel I basically I do kind of video essays and more opinion pieces just kind of talk about what I'm thinking that week so I've done a Disney Star Wars video just talking about all the great stories uh, Disney have told in the Star Wars universe because I think they actually get a bit of a hard time so I actually think there are some great stuff and there's some great comics and talk about Lex Luthor, I don't like him as a villain, and Wilson Fisk, I like him as a villain. Just try and dive deeper into superhero films and comics, and yeah, it's just kind of basically what I'm thinking that week, really. It's uh, just my opinion, which, yeah, I really enjoy. Yeah, well, and I've, I'm going to have a link in the show notes to your YouTube channel and to your Twitter both, so people will be able to find you, but I, I think your video essays, um, what I like about them is they they really feel like essays. Like you said, you um, we were talking off air. You actually take the time to write them. It's not like this, our conversation. I've got a few notes. Mm-hmm. But it's going to be mostly free-flowing to see where our conversation goes. Um, I just had a show that came out. Um, you know, it ended up being over an hour and a half, and the guest and I, like, went down 10 rabbit holes, and it was great. You know, so it's like you just kind of see where it goes. But you really have um, – it's funny to me, it's really impressive, that you're like, well, this is just what I was thinking about that week. But it's really thoughtful, and it's really um, – it's not just like, like your Lex Luthor one, for example, you weren't just like, you know, Jesse Eisenberg's a bag Lex Luthor because Lex Luthor because his hair's dumb. Like, you know, dude, it's mm. not like, like you see lots of vapid um, commentary, especially in the superhero medium where people just hate on it to hate it. You know, like all of yeah. the crap that happened with, um, with the Captain Marvel movie and how like people just shouted it down before it even came out. And that's, that's just total shit. Like, don't do that. So you don't do that. When you're critical of something, you give reasons why. And I think that's what makes your channel so much better than a lot of just noise that's out there. Yeah, thank you. Well, yeah, because I kind of, 
when I think about sort of everyone goes, oh, Lex Luthor is awful, Jesse Eisenberg was awful, but I'm more interested to go, well, what, why is he bad? What, what makes a good villain? And I kind of go down that rabbit hole of, well, if a good villain is Wilson Fisk, well, why doesn't Lex Luthor work? Because I think those two characters are actually pretty similar in that, you know, they're, they're both humans and they work in, this, in just a big metropolitan city and, you know, they're very wealthy but have these criminal backstories. So I find that more interesting to break down a character and what directors should be wanting them to be. So in Lex Luthor, I kind of focus on He's just kind of a bad guy for the sake of being a bad guy, which is why he doesn't work. I know Jesse Eisenberg is great in that film, but if his motivations and aims are there, it does kind of work and you can rework the character in future films and say, okay, maybe Eisenberg needs to turn, you know, tone it down. Instead, they just kind of made him a mustache twirling villain who just wants Superman dead. And it, it never made any sense when I really looked at it, that you kind of piece it together and you go, well, why does he need Batman to kill Superman? And, why does he even want Superman dead? And from there, you can't connect with a villain in that way, can you? No, and I think that's right. And I think that's, and those are two of your more, more recent videos that are out. And by the time this comes out, you'll have more too. But I really, mm. I really do like those. And I think, um, you know, you, you did kind of an analysis on, um, you know, birds of prey and kind of what made it a yes. flop. And, and I don't, and, you know, and I, I struggle with that, um, with that terminology. And I think it was the way you, because I don't, if you look at like, Ford Ferrari um, was considered a big hit, but they both films tripled their budgets. So really on its surface, it isn't a flop financially, but that isn't what you were looking at. You weren't saying it's not just about the money. It's about the way that this was handled and the, the speed yeah. it was put out and the bad editing. Like, you know, and there's some really, I liked Birds of Prey quite a bit. Um, yeah, I liked Birds of Prey as well. Yeah. I, I, and I, I so, so I appreciate that you're willing to look at something critically, even something you like critically. And I think that's what mm. makes the show good. And that's why I think, you know, it's, I was excited to, that you said, yes, you'd be on the show. Um, Cause I'm always looking for someone who wants to, um, you know, do that. Cause for me, this is a deep dive show. Like in my intro, I say that we're going to do a deep dive into something. It's not just like our zombies bitching. Um, you know, yeah. we, we'll talk about that and, and what they represent and, and, you know, the, the, um, the way that the tension is ratcheted up and stuff. So I'm super thrilled that you're here. Um, so that's just a snippet, everybody, of just when you listen to Matt there, of how thoughtful he is. So you need to, if you are not watching his videos, they're not long. Yeah, please do. <laughs> um, they're like 10 or, 10 or 15 minutes, and they're so insightful, and you can just, um, you know, just put them on. You're like, need a break from work. Everybody's working from home. We're recording this during the great pandemic. So talking about The Walking Dead is a great time. The show that yeah. comes out tomorrow after we're recording this is actually Why the Last Man. So it's like kind of in a, in a plague space anyway. Um, but, uh, you know, so give him a listen. It's a great, what I like to do when I listen to his stuff is I'm working on something because I work from home all the time. So, you know, you just need that you're changing gears from I'm grading these papers to doing something else. I can just go to his channel, turn something on, 10 minutes, let my brain go. Not like, it's not, it's not brain candy. It's thoughtful. It keeps you focused, but it's like, oh yeah. It's like I'm having a conversation with someone. So please, if you're not subscribed to his channel, Thank I you. don't know what's wrong please with you. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. All right, so um, let's, I'll give a little bit of backstory. I mean, now The Walking Dead, um, well, we, we can't avoid talking about the show, um, but I will be uh, frank, I've never watched more than the first episode. So we'll talk about that, why oh that is. Oh, wow. So, yeah, so, so, um, so this will be, be good. And I hopefully, maybe we, you know, we'll talk to Chris and Dave, maybe they'll cover the pilot or something and we could try to coincide 
uh, with this, you know, at some point. I don't think they've covered The Walking Dead on the show, so maybe this will poke them. So, yeah. Like, hey, guys. Um, and, um, so anyway, we'll see. But anyway, so The Walking Dead is, it was 193 issues um, written by the same person, Robert Kirkman. The first issue came out in October 2003. Um, and it focuses on Rick Grimes, who is a, a sheriff from a small town in Kentucky. He wakes up after being put in a coma. Um, while he was shot on duty, the world's abandoned. Um, and he goes to try to find his wife, uh, Lori, and his son, Carl. And he actually meets up with them outside of Atlanta, where, of course, everybody rushed to the nearest big city because the government said, go to the biggest city, we'll take care of you, which is obviously not what happened. And then um, from there, zombies. Um, now, what, what we're, we're, we're only going to talk, uh, Matt and I are only going to talk about the first, what, 12 issues of the 193, yeah. because there's a 0% chance we could cover it all. And we won't cover everything that we can in the time that we have in these, these 12 issues. But I thought it was a good place. I can't believe I've gotten to, this is probably, like I said, issue, episode 19 or 20, and then I'm finally getting to The Walking Dead. That's oversight <laughs> on my part. So um, it was published by Image Comics. It was written the entire run by Robert Kirkman. The cover artist was Tony Moore, and he actually drew the first six um, issues. And then uh, Charlie Adler kind of took over and did the most of the work after that. But so, so what? It'll be a fun talk for us to see because the first six issues and the second six issues have different artists um, and the way that they, the way that they draw not only um, you know Rick and the the supporting cast, but the monsters themselves. So. Let's go to that. So you already kind of already touched on it. So you came to Walking Dead through the show. So you saw the show and made you want to read comics. And now you've got a YouTube channel where you talk about comics. So tell me, tell me about that. Like, what was it about The Walking Dead? Have you, have you watched all the shows? Well, uh, it's funny. Yeah, me and my mum watched it so all the way back in 2010. So I, was, I was about 16. And uh, we are obsessed with zombie programs, a zombie films and we said oh my god there's this new program out we watched it and i was hooked the first i think the first season's only about six episodes and it's a fantastic season i know it's kind of dropped off in quality now but the way it was shot it was like i was watching a film like every episode was so big and you could really tell they they put their time into it and from there then obviously i watched more and more seasons and i just thought do you know what? Let's let's read this comics based on a comic, and let's let's see what it's all about, and see if I enjoy comics. I've always wanted to, and I've never known where to start. Comics to me are all they always these like big expansive things, and you you know you can't just jump in. So yeah, kind of started from there, and then yeah, obviously what I'm doing today. Then I made a YouTube channel out yeah. of it, but uh, yeah, that's kind of how I started. The uh, I don't watch the show anymore. Actually, I haven't watched the last season as I kind of gave up with it but i might now we're all in not maybe i will give it another go but yeah the, the first few seasons of the walking dead are fantastic i've covered it a lot on my channel actually yeah yeah and it's one of those things where it's so i'm with you i love a good zombie story um but i like i wasn't sure what it was going to be and, and you're right it is very cinematic that first um mm. i watched part of the first episode and i think it was more something that there are some shows where my brain says, I don't have the investment. I don't have the mental space for this right now. Um, not that I didn't think it looked amazing, but it was just like where I was in, in, you know, in, in my working life and in my, you know, 
professional life and just kind it's of a big commitment. <laughs> it is. It is. And even, you know, and at the time when it came out, I didn't, it's on a cable in America. It's a pay TV here. And um, so I didn't, I didn't have that channel. So it would have been something where I was always going to be a little bit behind. And I know there's like so much out there. So I just kind of made the choice to avoid it. Um, again, not because I didn't want to, but it's kind of one of those things. Where I was like, well, maybe when it's all done, I'll sit down with it. And um, I'll give it the, the time that it deserves. I, you know, I see the actors in it. It looks amazing. But the comic, um, and again, I've not read them all. Um, you've, you've not even read them all, you've said, right? No, I think I've read about yeah. 10 volumes, maybe. Yeah, and yeah, there's what, 20 or 32. 31, yeah, 32, yeah. Yeah, yeah and then no, there's a new, Brian Vaughn's going to do a spinoff. Yeah, it, so, it's mad. Uh, yeah, and it's one of those things where, you know, sometimes there's just a cultural moment that happens. And in, in 2003, when this came out, um, you know, there were zombie movies everywhere and there were crappy zombie movies. And, and I like a good zombie movie. To me, mm. the original Night of the Living Dead, the Romero, Shaun of the Dead, totally understands what that is. Like Shaun of the Dead is one of my favorite zombie movies. I love Zombie Land for, for all of the silliness of it. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, so I, and, and you know, and I've, I've seen all the Romero films and whatever. So it's kind of one of those, those um, zombie genres are, it, it, there's two kinds of zombie films, right? There's the 28 Days Later, which is clearly ripping this off, right? 28 Days Later, I don't know if you've seen that film. He wakes yes. up in a hospital and you're like, well, did you send Robert Kirkman a check? <laughs> yeah, when I, when I watched the show, because I didn't realize it was the comic, I went, well, they've just ripped off 28 Days Later. Yeah. <laughs> and then I've then gone back and gone, on the way, it's the other way around. And that's okay, you know, but that was a nice nod from 28 Days Later for them to acknowledge, like, there's this other thing that exists. So that's, that's delightful. But um, the thing about zombies and what Kirkman says in the introduction of volume one is he writes that thing. He's, you know, I'm, I agree, I'm with him that zombie stories are more than, they're not really about the monsters, they're about the way that people react to the monsters and how mm. people live in this new world. So what I find really fascinating about this world is that it's 2003. And so... My question um, for you is, you know, we're, we're obviously, we're 20 years apart. So 2003, we're at different stages of, of life. But when you read this, when you finally went back and read it, um, the way that, was there anything um, that you felt was a little date? Because obviously all technology stops. Mm -hmm. 2003. So as the book continued on until 2019, um, it, that's when it finally ended. Uh, the 193rd issue came out. So, but, but the things that they have to interact with was all 2002 technology, because that's when he wrote it. Um, was there anything about that that you found um, disconcerting or you think ended up hurting it or helping it in any way, having the fact that essentially, well, of course, there's zombies. And we'll talk about what causes the zombie outbreak and everything. I just wanted to talk about the setting, because I find that fascinating that here we are 18 years later, 17 years later, and this, this group of people are stuck in a time that will never evolve. What was your thought yeah. on that? Like, or did you not even connect to that at all? Well, for me, I just, I don't know. I always thought it was kind of timeless in the fact that it, it doesn't matter if, if this was written today, because it's the idea is all technology is gone and you kind of just move past that and it's, you know, everything has stopped. So I never kind of thought, oh, well, their technology is different because I always read it from a standpoint that it was, written when I read it instead of it was written in 2003 that never really factored in. And I think it's, it's a, a tribute to uh, Robert Kirkman that he's managed to make a story that can survive and it hasn't, it's not dated itself in the fact that, you know, it's just, as soon as this happens, 
all technology's gone. So you kind of get that out of your mind and you just imagine time has stopped and you kind of just throw yourself. I, for me, I always threw myself into it because it's you know, a very human story and kind of what would you do? So that's kind of what I always liked about it. I didn't think too much about technology. Um, for me anyway, I mean, it's, it's actually quite a good point really that is it dated? For me, it isn't because it, it just works any year really. I agree. No, I totally agree. I mean, that was just one thing to to think about is like, you know, because I didn't read it when it first came out either. You know, Um, you know, I'm a new I'm a newcomer to the whole to the whole book. And it's kind of one of those things, you know, where it's like, well, man, and honestly, in 2003, there was no way I had the money for a book like this, like image comics were out of my price range in 2003. Mm. I had a, you know, I had a two year old and a three year old. There was a zero percent chance I was buying. um, you know, <laughs> buying image comics as much as I would have wanted. Um, but so, yeah, so for me, you know, you come at it later and I agree that, that the technology is irrelevant. And I think that you're absolutely right. That is the, it is a testament to Kirkman's writing. He is such, I firmly believe that this is like, you know, masterpiece level writing and it will, of it's up there with the Romero stuff as far as, commentary Definitely. zombie commentary and what zombie commentary is but i think um you know when you look at you look at you know some of the best romero and you look at this and, and what it does is like you said it it is timeless if 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 it had been 2020 where if everybody has an iphone and whatever and here we are across the atlantic talking to each other we can see each other you know that all ceases we would never know each other in the zombie apocalypse or we'd never speak again in the zombie apocalypse and mm. and so it doesn't matter whether it's 2003 or whether it's 1864 you only are stuck with whatever you have there and other than a few references to like um a vcr or you know tvs here and there there's a couple of pictures of tvs in the you know in the backgrounds it's irrelevant and you know the only mm. technology that matters for them are weapons you know, yes, exactly. And I, yeah. and I find that really fascinating too. Is that, um, you know, I live in a country where, because of the coronavirus, twenty twenty was the first year, first time in twenty years where in the United States of America there wasn't a school shooting in the month of April. Crazy. And the only reason is is there was no schools mm-hmm. open, and that's so disturbing to me. Um, but this, what I love about this book is the way that weapons aren't um, glamorized in any way, shape, or form. Weapons are tools. And I find that really interesting, that it would be really easy to make Rick Grimes Frank Castle, right? But But they make that choice, but he makes that choice not to. But he's a police officer. He's completely versed at what guns are. The first thing we see of Rick, he's shot. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so, so weapons are important. He could easily, and there's many times in these first 12 issues where he comes close and there's tons of violence using weapons. But what do you think? Now, again, like, again because we're in, you're in a country where handguns aren't just laying around. Um, <laughs> uh, I live in Florida now, but my home state of Michigan yesterday, a security guard, this is a fact, was killed at a store because he told the woman she couldn't come in because she wasn't wearing a mask. For coronavirus mm-hmm. protection, so she went. So her parents went home. Like this was premeditated. Like they got mad. They drove home. They came back with their guns that they had, and they killed him okay. over that. I mean, that's obscene. Yeah, um, that but is that's the world. Obscene. That's that's the country that I live in, where shit like that can yeah. go down. So, what is you know? Did how much of the web? So, as I'm reading this, I'm really fascinated by 
the way the characters are interacting with the weapons themselves and the way Rick is really concerned about gun safety. And I know in a, in a comic book where there's zombies, you'd be like, who gives a shit about gun safety? Point. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that's such an interesting, th- so how much of that did you connect with and how, and again, I've not watched the show, so I don't want to necessarily turn it into how is it like the show, but I'm wondering if it's, if the show is more of like a, a guns are awesome fest as opposed to the book. Well, I found, so for me, it's kind of like they treat guns kind of like a currency. There's a a minute amount and they're they're highly valuable. You can get your hands on some. Um, But I do, I do like that, you know, he, he, like they keep the, I find in sort of zombie films, everyone just picks up a gun and that's it. You're, you're off. You you can just do it. But for me, I've, I've never picked up a gun in my life. I would not know what to do with it. And in the comic, they're, talking about yeah like you say gun safety he's teaching them all how to shoot it's not that you know like i say in zombie films a lot of time that someone just picks them up and bang 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 it's all headshots and you think well how have you managed that but in this is that you know there's there's that uh there's that continuation there's that build up that you know these people need to learn these are just regular people they're not you know you can't just pick up a gun and off you go you're not as you say frank castle so that i liked that Guns are this, this very, you know, as I say, like currency, there's not a lot, get your hands on them, but then you've got to teach yourself how to use them. And that's what I think Robert Kirkman makes so human about the story is that these are just regular people, you know, they, they got to go to hunting and they got to learn how to do, you know, you know, sort of live, you know, live on the land. How are they going to do it? If they're all just city folk. And for me, like for me, like with the guns, obviously I I don't know much about guns, but I I found it interesting that you know that was his first thing. He goes to the police station, doesn't he? Gets a load of them, and it's interesting because is it he goes he goes there because his town is quite small and he knows it won't be raided because obviously everyone's gone to the big cities. So it for me actually personally because I'm going. Well, over in the UK, I'd, I'd have no chance because I couldn't go to a police station right. and, and raid them. I was <laughs> yeah. like, that, like well, there's no chance here. But yeah, it, I, I do like the, the Royal Coat takes that time to say, we need to teach these people how to shoot. If they're going to last 193 issues, how have how they managed it? So let's teach them the skills. Let's get the base, basics right first. I, I could not agree with you more. It's such a, it's such a thoughtful... He, I mean, it feels, you said the word grounded, and it's funny to have that conversation is, here's a comic book about zombies. And I think what makes a good zombie comic or good zombie story TV show, and probably why this show is, on, is waiting for season 11, is that I'm sure the acting is good. And like you said, it's like very cinematic. But when you root it in the world, when it's not a blood and gore fest, when it's mm-hmm. about humanity's survival and why survive and why go on like that is the question that we have to ask ourselves with every one of these and we'll start breaking down the characters and talk about the art and stuff as we move on but um i just to me and i was like so excited somebody you know who's british is on the show with me to have that conversation about guns because you're right in most zombie movies it's just like and everybody's you know even in zombie land which i know is making fun of it which is why it was funny in zombie land is that you know um they're bad with weapons too, but then, you know, they, they still are miraculously, there's lots of headshots. There's not a lot of like, it's ricocheting off the ground like it would. Nobody shoots themselves in the foot, but then, you know, they accidentally kill Bill Murray. So there's that, um, 
there's that joke there. And there's obviously yeah. some pokes at, at this series in Zombieland too. So, but um, yeah, I just think it's, it's, it's good to, uh, the setting is genius too. And Robert Kirkman is American. So, um, you know, he's, he understands the culture, this love of guns yeah, here. Yeah. And, it, and the fact that it starts off in Kentucky and then it takes place in Georgia. And that is, you know, like right now during the coronavirus thing, the, the governor of Georgia, I'm not even making this up, like about a, in the middle of April, I'd say, he came on TV out loud and said, I just learned that um, this could be passed by people who are asymptomatic. I'm not making that up. He didn't know. <laughs> and then now in Georgia, bowling alleys, tattoo parlors, that's just open. Georgia's just yeah. open for no reason, just because because he doesn't care. So it's like, that's, you know, this is the kind of place that this is where it's just like, leave us alone. We've got our guns. We'll shoot you in the face. And, yeah. and so it's like a really interesting commentary on like American Southern culture, which I moved to from, you know, from the North. It's, it's a, definitely a culture shock. Um, so I really, I really did. I find that endearing. And, and, um, yeah. and also I think that Rick being a police officer is also pretty fascinating that um, he could have made the hero of his book be anything. Um, and he chose that. What do you think about that, about Rick being a police officer? And does that matter if, if Rick were something else, if, his, if he was a lumberjack? I mean, he still has to be kind of a badass, like Tari, who we meet in the second, he's a badass, but he's a football player. So like, if Rick's background had been professional American football player, would it work as much, do you think? I, I, yeah, I don't think it'd work as much. I think it's good having him as a police officer because it, it kind of works that because he's a de deputy sheriff, mm -hmm. isn't he? And I think it it adds to you know he's the backstory that he is a good man and he's he's kind of the everyman, is isn't he? Kind of like a Luke Skywalker in that he's he's supposed to be the good person, heart of gold, and he's a leader, and it kind of all fits in that you have this person here who works in law enforcement and he wants to keep the order. That's kind of what he's all about. He wants to keep the order, keep everyone together. And he, he sees it as kind of his duty that, okay, I was a deputy sheriff and I should keep these people safe. That is my job. And he's kind of clinging on to that fact that his job still matters in this apocalyptic world. And I think that's kind of the angle Kirkman is going for. Yeah, I, wrong. <laughs> no, I mean, no, well, that's the beauty of this show, right? We're just talking. We can't be wrong. Mm. We just get to say what we think based on what we what we've observed. I agree. I think um, I think it's also too, you know, like, um, again, police officers in America are not always re regarded um, with a lot of respect. Some of that is earned. Some of that, you know, is certain police officers are giant assholes, just like everywhere. There's an asshole. I'm sure there's an asshole you work with. I work yeah. with some assholes. What <laughs> do you do about that? But like, just to give, to give the hero, um, and again, it's better that he's a small town deputy sheriff. You know, he's not like Definitely. a hardened officer from Atlanta. He's just a guy who's trying to keep the peace. He's trying to, because even at the very beginning, when, when he wakes up from the coma and he goes home and a little kid hits, <laughs> hits him in the back of the head with a shovel and he's super not mad. He's so okay with it that he gives these people, these strangers, you know, a cop car and a bunch of guns. And he's like, all right, I just, he, like, that says... Like at no point does it ever come across as naive. The way that Rick is written is that you firmly believe he reads people really well. Like that is his yeah. power almost. And, and, and do you do you agree with that? Like like his ability yeah, to be an empath kind of? 
Yeah, I think what's good is obviously he does read people very well, but then they also look into that as being a weakness. And, you know, Laurie uh, has a go in for it, for letting Tyrese in, saying he's being far too trusting. And then we're kind of, it's, it's a clever way to write him in that you, you know, I think the idea is the reader should be seeing themselves through Rick's eyes that they feel, yeah, kind of, this is what I would like to do. I, I feel like I'd be a good person. But then someone's going, well, maybe that work, really. You know, if, you, if you're being trusting with everyone, what about when you come across someone that isn't good? So it, it's clever how he uses his strength as a weakness, but then you feel he should cling on to the part that makes him human, makes him him. So it's it, I, I I do think it, it's kind of his superpower. He does read people very well, but then it's shown as kind of a weakness at times. Right, and it becomes a weakness right at the beginning with Shane. So uh, we should talk course, just yeah. A, yeah, we should talk just a little bit about the so the cast of characters as this series goes on, of course, grows exponentially. Yeah. But we're going to stick to these first twelve. So the first twelve, they're in the camp with Shane, um, yeah, and then they end up at the farm where. Um, where I can't even remember what's their what's that guy's name Herschel yeah. Herschel's farm right Herschel leads to, yeah. Uh, yeah. Farm. yes yep and then they pick up with Tyrese and um and his daughter and her boyfriend and that's kind of where we where we kind of end it where they find this yeah. this prison at the end so so of these other characters let's let's talk through them um you know we can't necessarily don't have the time to go through them all so um of of these people we meet at the beginning, let's we can't avoid talking about Shane and what happens there with Shane. Yeah. So Lori is is um is Rick's wife, and he's got a son called Carl, and his best friend is called Shane, who is actually with him when he got shot. And the story is, well, I knew you'd be okay in the hospital, so I tried to get her to her parents, and I'm just looking looking after my best friend's wife and family. Um, and we learn, of course, that's not necessarily true. Um, so what are your thoughts on Shane and that? Did you see, I mean, what a way to go. I mean, in the first six issues, that's a, it's crazy, isn't it? Yeah. Crazy. Bujo breakneck pace. It does, it, but it doesn't. Yeah. That's the crazy thing about it is it does, but then it also feels like you're, you get a chance to breathe too. Like you get yeah. a chance to, to mourn while it never, like the shit never stops. There's never like on these first 12, there's not like an episode where they're like, today we're just going to, sit around and tell ghost stories like none of that there's always something happening mm. so what did you think about shane and the, the betrayal there and how shane's spoilers everybody for a 20 year old comic but um shane doesn't make it out of the first story arc um what did you think about that i loved it to be honest compared to, i thought shane was a very good character in the tv series but i think he's even better in the comic i think it is clever how they did it that you know he he doesn't go to the farm and there isn't this overarching story of, oh, well, you know, what's Shane going to do? You know, will he snap on Rick? It, it just happens, you know, and I think it's what I like about it as well. It's played off a little bit that he's kind of losing his mind as well. He kind of feels he has a right to Laurie and Carl because he's looked after them and he believes, you know, the government's going to come and it's, it's all played off that kind of everything's got to him. Everything's got to him. He's, he's just one day, he's just, he's just lost it. Uh, and obviously Carl shoots him and kills him, which is, you know, pretty shocking. And I think it's really good for that because it, it's shocking for the reader to make them realise, yeah, anything can happen in this comic. People can die and people are going to have to make some hard choices. And 
Carl, who's, you know, he's a child in this. He's going to have to wield a gun and he's going to have to make some big calls in his life very early on. When compared to, say, to the TV show, there was just pretty much all season two, Rick and Shane just basically argue the whole time about what's happened with Laurie and, and then kind of looking back on it, it's going, well, actually, it's quite boring, really, because <laughs> kind of know what's going to happen. He's going to, Shane can't go on. He's not going to be there for 10 series. So why are we still having this conversation? Why are we not moving on talking about <laughs> other stuff? And I think it, it works well because, you know, suddenly now we can move on, move to a new story arc. And we, we are shocked. We understand the world that we're in, that we're reading. And obviously the characters around are sort of growing and realizing that, you know, people are going to lose their minds, going to lose their heads. And what, what are you going to do at this moment? And yeah, I, I thought Shane was handled really well. I thought it was handled really well. I did too. And I have to say, having not watched the show, so I didn't know, I was definitely shocked. And I thought, man, this guy, Kirkman, he's not, he doesn't give a shit. He's not going to pretend oh, yeah. that he cares about you. He wants to break your heart and he wants you to not be willing to put it down. Like, I couldn't imagine. I'm so glad I didn't read these when they came out month to month. What would I have done? How do you, how do you come back from that and be like, I got to wait yeah. a month after this? It's, um, it, it is such amazing storytelling. And again, like you said, you're right. The pace is breakneck, but it isn't because he, he allows, like, in six issues, you firmly believe everything that you just said. Your analysis of Shane is spot on. And the fact that he could ramp that up, that means he had to give you enough space uh, oh, yeah. to show Shane grow. And yeah, I couldn't imagine 10 issues of him, them just bickering. I mean, in the, in the five or six issues, maybe it's two issues, that they do bicker a little, it was enough. It was enough for us to know everything that we needed to know. And yeah, well, we understand, don't we? We, we know Shane has slept with Laurie. Um, Rick has found out. We, that, that just needs to be resolved. You know, that, that has to be resolved. That doesn't have to go on, as you say, 10 more issues because what's there to learn? What's the, you know, they, what for them to go, okay, it's all okay. But obviously Shane's never going to kind of, one of them has to go. So it's, it's good. And it, I think it was a clever way to do it that you then have a shocking moment to end your comic. And I think it really sets, you know, the kind of tone of the whole series. He says, right, I don't care. You know, Shane may have been your favorite character, but it doesn't matter. Anyway, right, because it was the easy way, the lazy way, the way I may have done it as a writer, because I'm not as, you know, daring as Robert Kirkman, I would have maybe had them split up. You, you, you have a big enough group, um, you know, you've got Glenn, you've got Dale, Jim is still alive, Sophie, uh, Carol, um, the twins, uh, what's she, the twins' dad, whose name I can't think of right now. Uh, um, uh, Andrea. Amy Andrea, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, Alan and Donna. Yeah, you've got all these people. So you could have easily said, okay, well, we're gonna, they're just going to split up and these people are going to stick with Shane because he brought them to the party and these people feel more, more comfortable with Rick. And you could split up and you could even have like, do, like then you forget about them and you could have easily brought them back in in, you know, the 10th story arc. Oh, look, yeah. you know, Carl's back. But it, yeah, no, back. Yeah, we're not doing that. Or Shane's back. We're not doing that. He's like, nope, there are stakes and the stakes are high, and what he shows, I think, so is like this isn't a time for you to have um, to be able to hold grudges. This isn't a time for you to be able to be mad about anything else other than there are zombies outside. And so you're, um, like you said, you knew Shane was going to crack because he didn't have the mental capacity to 
hold two things at the same time. Yeah. Uh, or Shane couldn't. And so I think it was really a, 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 a great way to do it. To be like, I don't need to bring him back later. You know, this isn't one of those comics. Yes, there are zombies. We don't know why there are zombies. It doesn't matter, um, which I love. What do you think about that? Does that bug you that it doesn't, there's not like secret government virus plus just like zombies? Yeah, I love it. I think it's a fantastic way because I think, well, the idea, like I say, the idea is we are Rick. We're supposed to be Rick. And yeah. why, why would you know? Why would you know what happened? That's not the point. The point is, what do you do in this situation? And I think that is a fantastic way to do it because most zombie films usually explain what's happened. And I, which is nice, but I, I like that idea that I'm living through the main character's eyes and I learn what he learns because he, he's no one special. You know, he shouldn't learn. Why should Rick, you know, find someone who goes, well, this is how it all happened and this is how you can save it. Uh, you know, and I think that takes away from his everyman aspect. And I think it takes away from the reader's enjoyment of the book in that you don't know. And I, I hope in the TV show they never explain how and they don't ever do like a cure or anything. I just hope it's, you just experience it and this is what happened and what do you do? Yeah, well, I think, and I, if you think about what, what zombies can represent um, in the world, in the original Romero, Night of the Living Dead, the hero is a black man. Mm. And, you know, the, the zombies are all white people coming to kill him, and he's, he's locked in a house with a white blonde lady. And everything's there for you to see it if you want to see it. And he doesn't, at no point does anyone turn and be like, wow, there seems to be some subtle racism about the way the zombies are trying to come to kill me. It's like, it's there for you to see. Mm. And in this, the idea that you can't undo a genocide. It doesn't matter. Even if, even if you find out, you're like, here's what happened. The government was running a secret test and it got out and um, bippity-boppity-boo, everybody's dead, the end. Um, aren't you glad you know why? Who cares? You can't, like you said, there's no way that there's a cure. I mean, Rick makes it very clear in his fight with Herschel because Herschel's convinced there will be a cure. And I think that yeah. Hersch, and again, early, right, this is the second arc. We know right away, Kirkman's telling us, we're, there's, we're not going to fix this for you, right? Yeah, that's not that's, what the, I think that's good. He says, this is not what the story's about. It's not about finding a cure. It's, it's about the human side. What do you do? And I think that is really good that second story arc, he says, right, I'll address what you must be thinking. No cure. No cure. And, if, and even if there is, could, so, and as Rick says to Herschel, he's like, okay, your son's been dead for what, a month, month and a half? Longer than that, you can smell them, right? You know they're rotting. You know what's happening. Would you want to bring him back? Like, how, would you bring him back to life only so that he has to die again? Like, it makes no sense. Like, the logic mm. behind thinking there's a cure, um, you know, is, is absurd. And again, I think what Kirkman wants us to face is reality. He wants us to face that sometimes shit is terrible. Um, You know, and and if you think about when it was written, and and what you mentioned earlier is it's timeless. We're we're reading this and talking about this in the middle of a pandemic where unfortunately people are dying all over and we we know that the coronavirus will have a cure, but it won't, it's not going to come fast enough. Um, People are getting too antsy to give it time. It's like, to me, when I see these idiots in my state, like rushing to the beach to like lick each other and do whatever stupid <laughs> shit they're doing, it's like, 
they're the zombies, right? They're the ones who are like mindlessly, I have to get to the beach. Why? What, it, what, what about being there today is worth it in the long run? And like in the second arc, exactly. like, like I have to save all these. He's got like, four, was it like 14, 15 zombies oh, in his loads, yeah. barn? Because he thinks he's going to save them. Like, why? What is your? What is? What are you thinking about? Like, your ability to grasp reality is mind-boggling. And I think that the humans, human condition, is um, easy to dissociate, right? So, what do you think is it about, like Tyrese and and Rick, that makes them? Like you said, they are kind of every man, but but they're and even Alan comes around after Donna gets killed, and he's like, okay, I have to do this for the kids. I'm okay. What is it about certain characters in here that you think are able to, to grasp reality? And why is it that you think others can't? I, I think it's a clever way in that, you know, Kirkman doesn't just say everyone, you know, can deal with this situation because you're dealing with a pretty horrible situation that basically everyone's dying around you. And how will people react? You know, some people will be able to accept it quickly. And obviously those are the characters we're, we're, watching but then what about when they come into contact with someone who can't face reality and obviously that's Herschel he can't and obviously he's lost he lost his son hadn't he his son was in there yeah and for someone who loses their son like that you know why would they face reality why would they want to and I think it's it's a good way to show like he, he wants to tell two things he wants to say there's no cure and then he obviously wants to talk about people who can't face reality. And it's a clever way to do it instead of just, you know, a lazy writer would just get a scientist and say, no, there's no cure. That's <laughs> kind of it. You know, instead he, he, he kills two birds with one stone and he sets up a, a nice character up for Herschel going forward in that, you know, he's kind of a man who's lost everything and he's losing a, a grip on himself because obviously he was going to kill Rick and he's starting to realise that, you know, he, as you say, he's losing touch with reality and he needs to, he needs to make a choice. Even he needs to kill himself or bring himself around. And, you know, he still has Maggie and that's where he needs to, you know, he needs to be, he needs to help her. And uh, yeah, for me, that's kind of where they are and that, that you're seeing different, how different people react. Like, like we're seeing today, the coronavirus, people were being stupid, you know, Ed, over here. Uh, there's talk that we're going to come out of lockdown on uh, Sunday and everyone's jumping for joy, but then it doesn't make sense that, you know, a load of people, 600 people died yesterday. So w- why should we just go bored? You want to come out of lockdown? So, you know, you have those people who, who can face the facts of, of the situation and the people who can't and people who want to just kind of snap back to normal life and that's kind of what Herschel wants to do. he just he wants to go back to normal he wants that normal life again and obviously we're seeing that today and it's it really shows how well Kurtman knows the human condition that there are people who sit and there are people who want to go back immediately to how life was yeah and, and of course we all do that's the thing it's like like you said Rick is our avatar and we and we can relate you know and I you know there's different characters that you're going to connect with more and um yeah you know, obviously, but, but right. Rick is our, is our POV. And, um, but, and, and, and that's smart, right? Cause you, nobody wants to spend 193 issues with someone who um, puts a gun in his mouth every third issue. It is like, I'm not going to, you know, and then they got to be talked yeah. out of it now. You're not, you know, so you need someone who's like, Nope, I've got a directive and, and humanity must continue. Um, 
and we'll get to that in a second with there's lots of sex in this book for a reason obviously i mean you see that coming a mile away Lori's pregnant all the kids all the teenagers and 20 somethings are pairing off and even the old man is uh, dale is is um you know Shacking there's up with andrea yeah. yeah hooking up with andrea <laughs> but the idea being that um that's what humanity is going to do and the people who can face reality are going to say like okay look why would you want to bring babies into the zombie world? But do you want to be the last human too? That's the conversation you have to have is, 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 is the new normal is there are zombies. We can find a way to not live with them, but to live amongst them and save humanity. And who knows what, what our efforts can do down the line and think about the bigger picture. And like you said, people in my state too, they're like, yep, tomorrow, tomorrow for us in Florida, it's May 8th. May 8th is magically the day when everything goes away. But 540 people died in my state yesterday. Mm. Or sorry, in the country yesterday. My state, it was, no, it was my state. Yeah, my county, just my county had like 20 new deaths in a day. Oh, and you're just like, yeah, so 500 in the state. And granted, we've got like 30 million people in our state. So you're like, oh, well, 500 people probably died of a car accident this time last year. Yeah, but that's different. Like, I'm, I'm tired of that comparison. You know, it's yeah, like, oh, what again. are we not going <laughs> to drive anymore? Well, you drive safely. That's why you wear seatbelts. That's why you don't, I mean, if you go, if you do speed, you don't drive 110 miles an hour through a school zone. There's certain things you can do to mitigate it. And, and we do those things. So yeah, I, I think it's just a matter of like, of, of, we all want things to go back to normal. If I'm Rick, I want things to go back to normal. I want to go back to my house in Kentucky and, and hang out and have a good job and watch my kids grow up and, but that's not going to happen. And so do I choose to, and I could, I'd imagine there's plenty of people in this world that we don't meet who, um, who is it uh, in the original group, Jim, who survives. He's the only one who survives his family. He like literally they're eaten around him. Yeah. Yeah. And allows he, him to get away. <laughs> yeah. And, and he, he goes on for a long time and he actually only dies after getting bitten. Like he doesn't shoot himself, but you imagine there's other versions of Jim out there who do. And you don't mm -hmm. begrudge those people, but that's also not the story Kirkman wants to tell. He's not going to do a whole issue where it's just like every panel around the country is a different person the day of the apocalypse shoots himself. Yeah. You know those people exist too. But there's hope in this book, which is the craziest thing, right? Yeah. Lori being pregnant regardless of whose baby it is, whether it's Shane's or whether it's Rick's is irrelevant. That's hopeful, right? Mm. Oh yeah, definitely. I yeah, I like that that moment they say, you know, he Rick is saying, you know, it's a happy moment, you know, when when we're not crossing that bridge, you know, and they're saying, well, there's no doctors, and you know, they're trying to bring it down. They're saying, look, we'll cross that bridge. Let's just for now be happy because you know, if it was the normal world, we'd all be saying congratulations. So let's just try and keep that sense of you know that normality and the humanity we have before. And just enjoy this moment. And then when obviously the big day comes, you know, another eight, nine months down the line, then we'll discuss the problems. But for now, let's, 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 let's all say congrats. And I really like that moment that Rick is there clinging to a bit of humanity whilst everyone around him wants to kind of, you know, lose that sense of it. And I think that's what makes Rick the leader and why he should be our hero of the story. 
Yeah, I agree. And I think it's so fascinating too, because what you just said is you're right. He's clinging to humanity. This pregnancy is like in normal times, you would have said, congratulations. I think those are the exact words he says. And what's, what's so cool about that is, right, all these other people are freaking out like Herschel. We just wanted to go back to normal. Dude, that's not going to happen. And the only way it's going to go back to normal is to say congratulations when somebody's pregnant, to say, yeah. to crack a joke once in a while, to, to you know, and that's why I love when Tyrese comes in because he is such a great um, like he gets Rick and, you know, every, every leader, every hero needs an equal. Yeah. Um, you know, whether that person has the same gifts, you know, like, and you think of standard um, comic book fair, the reason that the Trinity works, you know, is Wonder Woman, Superman and Batman work is there's a God, an alien and a dude, a super smart dude, but they're all equals to each other. They treat each other as equals. So they're there. They can, if, if Wonder Woman, Superman, and Batman are having a conversation, they can speak honestly and they can understand each other, even though they're obviously completely different. Um, and that's what I love about Tyrese when he comes in. I was so glad he comes in because when, they, when Shane is killed, I was actually concerned, like, what would that do for Rick's? There's nobody who's his equal in this book. Dale, yeah. Dale was, I think, at one point, like a young Dale. Yeah. Might have been, right? And Glenn, when he gets older, could be. But like he, I just feel like he needed somebody to be like, I get you. So they can kind of have conversations without having to say them. He needs that ballast. He needs someone who will confront him about, you know, you have Dale, who's that kind of voice of reason on his side, but he will never confront him about decision. And obviously Glenn is just kind of, to begin with, Glenn's just kind of background character who kind of just fills him in. And kind of everything that's happening, and obviously he will grow under Rick's wing. But yeah, he he obviously Kurtman introduced Tyrese because he realised he needed he needed someone who was not against him, but someone who was who was on his level and could be if if Rick was to go, who was going to be the leader? And they needed someone who was a clear number two. Yeah, and I like him a lot. I think yeah. um, I really, I, I mean, I get Rick's the character, but so far, you know, early on. He's my favorite character. I, I like his, the way that he is, um, he's, he never, he's so even. And I'm not that, you know, I would love to be like him. I would love to be like, all right, let's, let's breathe. Let's get ourselves through this. Even though, you know, he's the biggest and strongest of them and he could easily just come in and like throw elbows and bully everybody. He's a former professional linebacker. He's a monster. And uh, he's like, no, he's so cool. So I really like his I like him, like you said, it was really smart because mm. Rick needed him, but, but as a reader, I need him too, and I like him a lot. I think he's, he's um, what, a great, what a great character. Of, of the people I've met so far, he's my favorite, I would have to say. Um, I, I, I just, there's something about him that you're like, yeah, I'm going to follow Rick, but I trust this guy. Yeah, definitely. We yeah. would trust the linebacker. Yeah, I'd get yeah. behind the biggest guy in the zombie apocalypse. <laughs> that's right. And yeah. maybe that's what it is. He feels it feels like, all right, yeah. Yeah, he's amazing. Um, well, is there any of the, before we get into the art, because I definitely want to talk about that, we haven't even done it yet, because the, the initial two runs, it's two different artists, and um, there is a slight difference, I think, in the way characters look, and I'm curious what you think is better. But before we do that, since we're talking about characters, um, you know, is there any of the characters that you didn't like or that you were early on, we lose a lot of them that you were sad to see go, or you thought, in these first few arcs, something, you know, you were shocked to have them die or you just are like, God, I hate her. Or I wish that, I wish they had killed Carl or whatever. I mean, Carl's seven. We don't want Carl to die, but Carl yeah. does get shot in this. <laughs> so what, is there anybody you don't like? 
right now, I, there's no one I don't particularly like because he's kept. He's got his main few. Kurtman's written his main few, and a lot of people in the background. Like, because I think right now, because he kind of his first twelve issues, you kind of know who's going to die. Like, when they die, because it's like, well, you've just been in the background. You're you're you are here to just. You're the red shirt of this issue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're the red shirt. You're you're here to serve, to die, and to teach the group a lesson. And so, like, I like to creatively with Jim obviously he Jim went massively in it was he he was in it a little bit and then he died but he it was an interesting quite heroic kind of arc yeah yeah it, it, it was it was instead of just having you go oh well Jim died we best move on they, they did Kermit did something creative with it you know he wanted to just be of his family and he was clinging on to kind of it seemed kind of like an afterlife kind of thing he was thinking that if he became a zombie he he could then again be of his family after losing them and I thought wow that is such a good way to do it compared to the TV show they did the same thing with Jim but other characters they just kind of die in the background and everyone goes oh no, how awful that Amy's died and I thought well they're only in an episode why do you care yeah. all of a sudden <laughs> when yeah then this I feel like they all know each other and you know they, they feel bad when one another dies and they're all teaching each other life lessons so i think for those 12 issues kind of also every death is so shocking that it's like wow okay i think the only one really that i didn't really care all that much was donna when she died yeah. in the volume two um although also she left her twins and alan behind i thought well yeah she because there's a zombie attack and i thought yeah, of course it's of course it's Donna that's died. She she's she's had about five lines in this whole thing, so someone had to go. She's just been that a scold the whole time. Yeah. He definitely he definitely set it up so that we didn't like her. And and it was um and this is how I knew Donna was gonna die. And this is um I mean, it's a Joss Whedon thing and, and uh Buffy. I don't know if you ever watched Buffy the Vampire Slayer. There. No, never watched Buffy actually. I, I love this show. So there's a there's a character who's always a side character, but she's she's never her, the actress who played her was never on the opening credits. And then, uh, but she was always like, you know, the first one named after the opening credits. You know how like shows, there's people who are on every episode, but they're not the main six, yeah. but they're, they're in every, it's just a way to pay the actors less. So anyway, there's a character, she's called Tara. And um, there's an episode where she's like, you're watching the opening credits and she's in the opening credits. And you're like, what? Finally, because everybody loved her. Like, I loved that character. It was great that's the episode they killed her. <laughs> so he, he, the, I mean, literally for years, the actress doesn't get to be on the opening credits, but she's in the show for three years. They finally give her the opening credits. Like she gets her name and there she is. And you're like, hooray, killed her. So I knew that's what was going to happen with Donna because in the issue where she dies, she's really nice to everybody. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, you, you give us the one time where she like, she finds out that Andre and Dale are having sex and she walks in on all these people and everybody's they're in this house and they think they're safe. And so, of course, she relaxes for a second. She quits between such, being such a scold and judgy. You know, she's got five-year-old twins. It's not like she's that old, but she acts like she's everybody's old mean grandma. So I knew he set us up like immediately. I was like, oh, man, you're making us like yeah. her just to kill her. So I didn't buy it. I didn't. I knew she wasn't going to make it much longer. I was, didn't know it would happen that quickly, but I was like, I thought uh, it was so smart. It's such a, God, it's such a smart book. I can't, um, I can't express enough 
<laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. It's like a masterclass in writing. I mean, it's like Neil Gaiman. He's like Neil Gaiman good. Like, he's amazing. Because mm-hmm. writing is, it's really kind of, there's just a handful of comic writers who I think can, could do this. I mean, this could I be... I think good about the, um, the it, was it Wiltshire, the state they're on. I, I think that's good because he, he slows, he kind of slows it down. I know it's probably only, only over an issue or two, but he, he slows everything down and you kind of breathe a little bit that you can't and everyone, everyone's happy. And then obviously they wake up and, you know, walk around this estate, but actually they never should have gone in. And I, I think it was really good that he, he it kind of taught his lesson that no, you shouldn't ever stop and breathe in this situation. And this is the mistake the characters have made and they now they are going to learn from it because they have lost a member of their group and I, I thought that was just a really good way and I thought wow what a good writer that he is using this creatively he is saying you know th- the world is harsh if if you let your guard down it's something bad could happen and our characters will not make this mistake again yeah no and they yeah hopefully right obviously some of them can't um, and I do like, I mean, the thing about Donna's death, Alan goes through obviously some severe post-traumatic stress as one yeah. would. Um, but his argument about the boys, the twins, Ben and Billy, how they're going to grow up and not know anything about her and how sad that makes him. And then later he realizes like, oh, well, I can be the one to tell them. Like I can, yeah. I can have her live on. Um, but it was real, you know, it was real. Like anybody who sees, you know, a six-year-old who loses a parent, you know that that's going to that kid's life is going to be totally different. And those kids, they're not going to know that their life is different. Like when you think about the kids in this book, um, they have no idea. This is the world where they live in. Carl, yeah. Sophia, the twins. Guess what? Shit sucks. This is you. Yeah. You grown up with zombies. You know, like they'll, they will never remember the, pre, the pre-apocalypse. This is the only life they know. And I think that's really, again, hopeful that there's four children who who are in these initial six runs that's in the and the baby obviously because laurie's pregnant but i think it's just such a again like you said great writing and a great way to care about characters and um you put a kid in there and you shoot one of them and and uh you make the scene the way that it was drawn was the exact same way that his dad was shot in the first panel of the book yeah you're like damn (laughs) 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 you would man um, cause you know, I don't really, I mean, Carl's fine. You don't really realize how much you cared about him until he gets shot. Yeah. And you're like, Definitely. Oh, fuck. Well, all right. <laughs> let's, let's talk about that though. That the way that it's drawn. So I've got the names written here cause I don't want to say them wrong. So Tony Moore is the cover artist and the artist of volume one. And then Charlie Adler takes over and he's actually listed as co-creator. Uh, but he didn't draw the first, the first run. Um, so what did you think about the two contrasting art styles? And then what do you think about just the art in general? It's a black and white book, but it, it doesn't necessarily feel black and white, which is interesting. Um, I've done a couple of black and white books recently, and I keep realizing how amazing artists can make you forget you're reading a black and white book. Mm-hmm. Um, so what do you think about, about Tony, about Charlie, about the art style in general? Uh, well, I thought, so volume one is uh, it's illustrated by Tony Moore, isn't Tony Moore, it? Yeah. I think that's, mm-hmm. That's the only one he did, isn't it? I don't, yeah, I, I think he did the covers after. for a while after. Yeah. Did he? Yeah, but he, yeah, did, yeah. he did do the actual comics. But I felt it, there, is a, there is a subtle change, and I think the art in Volume 1 is the best. It feels, I don't know, like more expansive, more bigger. There's obviously that great uh, panel where Rick is going into Atlanta on the horse, Oof. and he's, he's walking into the city, and obviously one side of the road is 
full of cars all uh, blocking the road and obviously the other side coming out of the sea is completely empty and I just and that shot was used in the Walking Dead TV series oh was it nice nice yeah yeah because it's it's so iconic I think I think it's probably the most iconic shot and panel for the show Uh, so I felt that he's uh, art style was it was was just a lot more it made me feel the world was a lot bigger I don't don't know maybe it was just me but then obviously when it um, who did it move to for volume probably Adler yeah everything felt more constricted just a, a little bit more cramped when he was writing these stories I didn't feel like there was a big breathing space in the world that was being drawn uh, you know that's just kind of my interpretation of it and uh yeah I, I prefer Tony Moore's way and I like the black and white I think that was an interesting uh way to go of it because you can look at it in a few ways you, you can see it as it's kind of like a story that's being retold you know kind of Ooh. through these comics and it's an old story and you know they've so done it in black and white and I think it adds to kind of that horror aspect that you've kind of you've got to fill in the blanks, you've got to fill in the colour and, you know, kind of what colours are you filling in when you're seeing these people being bit and, you know, when Jim shows off his arm that he's basically missing a huge chunk out of his arm, I, I then have to go, well, hold on, I know what, I know what they're trying to draw on this, on this page. I've got to imagine that now instead of it, me seeing it and going, oh, no, I don't want to look at that. Oh, I'll just flip the page now. I understand what's happening there. I've I've physically got to imagine it. And I think that does really add to the horror aspect that you're asking the reader, what does this look like? And, you know, you're, you're, you know, people's imaginations do just run. That, that's, that's the nature of it. So I think that's really, I think it was a really clever decision. I agree. And when I, one thing Dave said when we were doing, I don't remember what book, but Dave said, you know, colorists are kind of like the unsung heroes. And I agree. And there's some amazing colorists in some of the books that I read where the, the colorists are like the stars. Um, without a doubt. Um, but I think the choice is, you know, sometimes they're like, well, it's just a financial choice, but this is an image book. This isn't, this is, you know, they, Spawn existed for a long, there's plenty of image money when this came out. So that was a choice, oh, yeah. like you said. Um, and I think what, what I think is really great about the black and white is it, like you said, it ramps up the horror, but it also makes it um, palatable. So you can, fill in the blank like you mentioned with Jim's cut or when the horse gets eaten yeah you can choose to see that or you can choose to be like nope I don't I'm gonna pull away from it whereas if there was a colorist there when the zombies attack Rick's horse when he first goes to Atlanta um boy if that colorist was there that would be a bloody page yeah and and then you also get to decide what does the zombie look like what is the level of decay um, what does it look like when there's a jaw hanging open or when there's like, and then what does it look like? Cause Rick's got a hatchet and he uses that a lot. So what is that? And, and Tyrese uses a hammer. There's like a couple of panels where it's just the two of them and it is splattery and there's snow there too. So there's so much to do. So I think for me, like you said, not only does it give the reader a chance to make it as gory as he or she wants, but it also gives the reader an escape. I yeah. think they're doing us a favor by saying, we're not going to overwhelm you because we would like you to turn the page. And by it not being in color, we're giving you the opportunity to tune, to tune out if you need to. I think also be overkill because obviously there's a lot of swearing, sex, also a lot of violence in this comment. And then to say, well, every page is blood and guts as well. I, I think then you go, well, now I think 
I think Kerman probably looked at him and went, we're going overboard here. It's not what makes the comic good that we, it's R rated and it's, you know, it, it, it's a bit crude. I think we need to pull a little bit back. And I, I think making it in black and white is perfect for that. I agree. I totally agree. And it is, it, and again, you forget, like you said, because your mind will do what it wants to do. Um, and if your mind wants to see the blood and guts, you will. And if your mind does not, you won't. Yeah. And it's kind of like um, why I think Zach's, Zach uh, Snyder's uh, remake of Day of the Dead, uh, Dawn of the Dead, the one that's in the mall, Dawn Dead, yeah. um, is it, like you can look, depending on how, obviously, f- um, cinematically, it's, he's a way better I mean, Zack Snyder's really a cinematographer who gets to be a director. So, like, yeah, you exactly. look at, you know, when you look at a Zack Snyder film, you're like, God, this is beautiful. So, his Dawn of the Dead is gorgeous, but Romero's Dawn of the Dead is so much better um, because it isn't as the the gore is not cranked up to twenty. It, mm. And I think what Kirkman does, just like you said, is he's like, I bet you that was the conversation. I wonder if that is true. If he was like, whoa let's dial it down just a little because it is already so intense. Because mm. I think, because you, you see it in Hollywood films now, so like Birds of Prey, that that, that was R-rated. And it, it's, you have to say, what, what is this adding to the story? In that, say, like a, a film like Deadpool and Logan, where they were R-rated, that did add to the story. And that was a part of the story, but something like Birds of Prey, it, it didn't you you could easily pull that back and i think that's kind of how kirkman's looking at it in that is is the goal necessary to the story not necessarily in that as we say people can fit in the blanks so let, let's pull it back let's not go overboard because people get bored of that quite quickly and i know i do if i keep seeing yeah blood gore swearing sex i'm like well it's just just a bit much now like i, I don't want to be reading <laughs> reading this this is just too too much to so bring something back and it, it does add like, like the old saying go less less is more <laughs> yeah and then for a book that's for a series that is about the end of the world um you know it it is it is obviously bloodless because it's black and white but it's also um that's a gift he's giving to us and i think you're right it's a way to be temperate there's a few issues in these first 12 where you know, there's only one or two zombies even in the book because it's yeah. because again, that's the menace. The zombies are out there. We know they're out there, but mm. not seeing them is sometimes more terrifying than seeing them because when you see them, you can be like, okay, here's what they're going to do. When you don't see them, when they're just out there, it's the reason why the Friday the 13th movies on their face are all terrible. But the score, the Jason Voorhees score is incredible and because that music just is in the background of those movies that's why they could keep making them because people would be like i don't see jason and the, the jason is scarier when you don't see him than when you do when you do see him it's just like guy in hockey mask which of course could mm-hmm. be terrifying but knowing he's out there somewhere is way scarier than there he is i can run that way yeah it's it's, it's much scarier something you can't see than sometimes something you can see. And I think that's why that Wiltshire estate oh, story so works great. so much. It works oh. so fantastically because he, I think he kind of realized they haven't, you know, had, had the shit scared out of them yet. So let's put them into a position where, you know, the, you know, the reader will think, well, yeah, they're safe. Then you go, no, there's 
there's been a threat the whole time. There, that threat could be any point around the corner. So don't think, just because you can't see them, doesn't mean you're fine. You need to take your time with this. And I think it's... Uh, yeah, it's they're, great. they're always out there. They're always there. And, I, and with that, with that, the reason that that story was also fantastic is the f- shit they leave behind. Because as soon as they feel safe, they get complacent. And that's the other lesson they learned is... Yeah. Um, there's, they, the first thing they should have done... Now, they thought they were going to live there forever. So they thought, oh, cool. We've got a gated community. We're going to... We're all going to get our own homes. I mean, like, you could, they, you could see they thought we're going to build a community. We're going to invite people in. We're going to build a garden. So we don't have to take all this food and hoard it. They were like, oh, look. Because there's the whole conversations about peaches versus pears. And... Um, one of them was tired of peaches and wanted pears. Like, oh, we got everything. And then they don't take it. So when they leave, the next panel you see is Lori's hungry again. Because yeah. she didn't. They did. So it's like the, the complacency. This isn't a world. And again, I think it's a lesson for us now. It's not even just about coronavirus, but in life. Like, as soon as you get complacent, there's a difference between complacency and happiness. And I think, like, I love my job and I'm in a good place with my job and I'm not interested in you know, I'm a writing teacher. I'm not interested in being a dean. I'm not interested in being the president of my university. I'm not complacent. I'm content. And I think mm. that Kirkman wants us to understand the difference between being content and being complacent. And when we go to Herschel's right after that, you know, they're being complacent about, well, we've got them locked in the barn, so everything's fine. You know, you're like, it's like willful ignorance, um, as opposed to Rick is saying, dude, if you killed all these people, you're safe in here. You could be content. You've got a fence. You've got food. You've got livestock. We could grow food. You're being so stupid. And it's just it's this idea that we, we don't look at ourselves. And there's so many mirrors that he holds up to us throughout this whole book. It's just Definitely. fantastic. Yeah, because I, what I like about that Herschel thing, it's, you know, he's saying, I'm keeping these people in the barn. And in you know, I think the way it was played off in the TV series, I went, what's an idiot? What, what's an idiot? What is he doing? This is just stupid because the series has, has shown us up to that point that you need to just get rid of zombies. But then I think Kermit wrote it in such a way that I, I felt sorry for him. And I went, well, actually, yeah, of course he's doing this. And I kind of went, well, if I was in that position... I feel like I'd maybe do the same and uh, I would cling on to something like that. But instead, the series kind of brushes everything off. I don't think they even mention that his son is in the barn. He's just kind of like, oh, oh it's my neighbours and stuff. I don't know. I may be wrong, but I, I feel like he didn't or it's very brief. It's not a big point. It's not a big point. Um, he's just like, you know, there, there's some of my neighbours are in there and just people, from, other farmers from the town. So it's kind of like... Uh, the the big point of the people in the barn in the TV series is it's Sophia who who's turned into a zombie. So that's our big kind of like, oh my God, Sophia's in there. It's not a big point that it's Herschel's son, uh, which oh. I think is a better way to introduce Herschel because you, you, for, for everyone, you kind of go, yeah, I, I get where Herschel's coming from. And he's someone who hasn't lived through the experiences of the, or brick that we've been following so yeah he would be like this so you, yeah you know what do you do in that position if you're rick do you convince him round or would you leave it's it, it, it's it's a good way to do it compared to how the tv series did it 
Yeah, I, and again, like I said, I've not seen that, but I, I agree. And the one thing that is touched on there briefly too is Herschel. And I'm with you. I don't hate Herschel. I don't think, I mean, I think he's again being complacent instead of being content. Like he, he feels like a door is going to hold them at bay. And just like they did, they're like, oh, we've got a gate. So now we can be complacent instead of being like, let's make it secure. And then we can be content. And there's, there's, that's that subtle difference. But Herschel's also a man of faith. He's religious. Mm-hmm. And he, he tells them to pray for Carl, even though he's a scientist, he's a veterinarian. He knows how to, you know, he knows what he's doing. Um, so he knows the difference between science and faith. But I also believe like he thinks and it's subtle, but I believe Herschel thinks he's killing is wrong, no matter who it is. And so even if they're zombies, and yes, his son is in there, but killing his neighbors or killing anyone might be a sin. I think he yeah. struggles with, because then when he almost kills Rick, that's his like, like literal come to Jesus moment. He's like, holy shit, I almost, I almost killed Rick. And um, that's a person. I wasn't willing to kill the zombie, but I almost killed a human because I was so mad and, I, and, it, and it made him like question what he was doing, but also like, I think his faith kicked in there. And it's, and I don't know, again, having, you know, I've not read the whole series and not seen the show, how much religion comes into it. But I think with Herschel, it was clearly there. And I'm assuming throughout the book that will be there. You know, there'll always be people who think this is, you know, God's punishment or this is God's will or sweet Jesus. He saved me. You know, people are going to have different views on that. Yeah, definitely. I I think, so with Herschel in the TV series, it is touched upon that he is religious, but it's, it's not a major component of him. It's more he was an alcoholic. Oh. I think that does come into play in the comics. I read them. I read them. So I read these yeah. two, two volumes yeah, yeah. for this. I read them years ago. But I know, yeah, that, that's kind of a big thing that's played into it. But, but what I like about um, the Herschel stuff with the barn is it's the first time we see someone kill someone that's close to them, you know, in, in that they're related, I think off the top of my head, because until then it's kind of faceless people right. that they're killing for zombies. Obviously there's a, there's a touching moment. Uh, Rick kills the half eaten woman. Yeah. Isn't it? He goes back and it, like that was quite touching. And I think it shows obviously a lot who Rick is, that he's a caring person. The first thing he does when he has a gun. Yeah. He goes and puts her out of her misery. Right. Yeah, but we hadn't seen anyone put a zombie, a zombified person of their, you know, someone they know. Obviously, they let Jim survive. Um, but other than that, there wasn't anyone that was a real big connection to someone. And I think that's how it's played off quite well in that we understand why Herschel's doing this in the TV series it's just played off just basically he hasn't come to terms with reality but in this there, there is reason behind that why hasn't he come to terms with reality well it's because of this you know if you lost if, you know same to read if you lost your son would you come to terms with it straight away and you know because in the TV series I was going just kill them just you know yeah just your neighbors like you may have been close to them, but they're just your neighbors like this move past this and said when it's like well if it's your son i get why at the start of this you would be very contentious to do anything too hasty because maybe maybe a cure does come maybe you would hold out that hope instead of if it's five years down the line then yeah sure you do it straight away but right at the start what, what would you do Right. Yeah. And I think that's great. And that's the last, I mean, we're, we've gone over an hour already and that's what I'm saying about my show. It's like, I try to say 45 minutes, it's always longer. Cause I, I love having a good conversation. I appreciate it. This is the thing 
and again, because we're in different countries and, and we're in the middle of a pandemic and we've seen our governments do different things. And so it's, a, it's an interesting question that I have for you, um, what your thoughts are. And I think your, your comment about Herschel is a perfect transition to that. Herschel's unsure, it's his son, whatever, but Shane even says it from the beginning is the government's gonna come save us, the government's gonna come save us. And you see this a lot in apocalypse um, stories. Uh, you know, we try to trust the government, but you know. Hmm. So where, where do you think you would be? Like, obviously Rick doesn't think that and other people do and, and other people don't. And so there's this gut reaction to someone's air quote, someone's coming to save us. Um, what do you think Kirkman's saying about that? Is that, is that like, we, we already talked about it's hopeful, like Lori being pregnant is hopeful and these people pairing off and Glenn and Maggie getting together, that's hopeful. And that's lovely and I want there to be hope and I want these, these children, these teenagers and 20 somethings and people to continue on with life, so that's lovely. But, but there's a different kind of hope, which is someone's coming to save us. Um, what do you think Kirkman's saying about that? Is, is, he, is he like at his core, like, essentially like a libertarian, like, listen, man, nobody's coming to save you, but you, or is he saying like, no, no, it's people could come to save you. And that's, that's, um, you know, cause Rick comes to save them. Rick essentially saves everybody. You say, you know, mm. if they'd listened to Shane, they'd all be dead. So someone is coming to save you. So there seems to be like, uh, count, you know, counterintuitive messages there. I just wonder what your thought was on what do you think Kirkman's telling us? Well, I think he's kind of saying that I think, people need to be able to fend for themselves in a way in that they, because too many, also we're seeing a lot of characters are saying, no, no, let's just hold steady in that they don't kind of believe in themselves and one another that they can get through this instead of saying, well, what should we do for, you know, my, I, I personally want to stay alive. What should I do to, to keep that happening? Should I just wait and hope the government comes or should I keep, you know, moving and doing things I know will be better for me in the long run? And obviously, I think that's kind of what Kirkman's saying and that you, you should don't rely on someone else. Rely on yourself, rely on the people around you that, you know, you're the ones who are going to get yourselves through it instead of, you know, just focusing on, no, no, there's someone bear who will come along they'll sort all this out when you know rick's coming and he's saying look if we keep moving if we try and find somewhere that's safe then we can we, we we can build from there instead of just waiting for something we're not even sure that's coming you know what what, what do we know we don't know that they're coming we know that zombies are going to kill us they will come up here in you know maybe they'll come in a week Will the government come in a week? I don't know. It's the best option for us. Let's move. Yeah, and what is it do you think? Because again, what, this is my frustration. We both kind of talked a little bit about it, and I don't want to turn this into a total coronavirus thing, but it's kind of hard to avoid considering we're talking about the end of the world. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's, there's actually a pandemic. Is people, people like where I live, I'm having this argument with people who are saying, well, the state of emergency ends on, on May 8th, which is the day after we're recording this. So therefore, go do whatever you want. And I've said, yeah, but there's no cure for this and there's no vaccine for this. So either or, um, why would you think tomorrow is going to be better than today? Like, why is today? As long as you stay inside today, you're fine. But, if you, but at midnight, Cinderella, uh, reverse Cinderella, the pumpkin turns back into a magical coach and everything is fine. 
why do you think that? Um, mm. And no one can give me a good answer other than that's the date that was arbitrarily selected by my dumb governor. Um, and in different states, it's different, like we already talked about. So to me, like I'm reading this and like, oh, the go oh shit, there was just a noise that popped on my computer. I'll have to, sorry. To me, when I'm reading this, my, I'm saying um, the government is not coming to save us. You use your common sense. Like you, you said, there's no scientist in this book to explain it to us, which is good. And I'm, I'm with you, I'm glad. But we mm. can see, we have our own common sense. Rick can see, and Tyrese can see, and everybody can see. Uh, even Carl goes, yeah, shit's bad. Um, no one's coming to save us. Use your common sense. We're not going to, you know, there's, we're not going to live outside the fence ever again. Um, so, so I don't know. I just, as I was reading this, it was hard not to compare it. So in your country, you, you were saying people think in a few days the thing is going to be lifted. But Boris actually had coronavirus. So I feel like he maybe is taking it a little bit more seriously. So how do you think, how, like, what are your thoughts on how your government's doing it, you know, with this in comparison to, to this idea? Like, if it gets out of control, would you say, well, I'm just going to wait to decide what Boris is going to say? Or would you be like, I'm nailing the door shut? Because Rick, because I'm going to do what Rick says. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's hard. It's hard, isn't it? Because it, it's, it, it's appealing to that human side of you and you know you, you you've listened to the government and you feel the government all have the best in your best interests at heart and they are the ones who have the best idea of the situation so it's kind of whenever i read this i always think if there was a zombie apocalypse and they said board up your houses great okay but what point would i unboard my house and say maybe you just sitting here is not not my best option right now and maybe my best option is to move out, move out and move forward. Uh, and so I, that's kind of that thing. When, when I see Shane and Rick having that argument, there is a part of me that's going, well, I kind of agree with Shane that, you know, the government said they're coming, so why don't we wait out? But then there, obviously, we know that's not going to happen. But I, I see both sides, because then how's Rick so confident that if they move forward, it's going to be okay. So there is that good contrast in what they're saying. So that's, that's kind of how I see it. That it's, they're saying, Kirkman's saying, you would probably wait. I think most people would. Most people would go, the government has said they're coming. Let's just weigh it out. But that's not always the smartest choice. Sometimes the smartest choice is thinking on your feet, thinking proactively and moving on. And I, I think that's good from Kirkman in that he is, it's kind of testing us. For me, it was because I was like, in the argument, I was like, no, Shane's going insane. I kind of get what he's saying. I kind of agree. Maybe you should stay because you don't know what's out there. You move forward. So, yeah. Yeah, it's what it's it's because they all are heading to Atlanta because that's what they said to do. Go to the cities. We'll keep you safe. But it's not like there's a city that has an, a gate around it. I mean, in America, you live on an island, right? I mean, so um, that's helpful. <laughs> Your yeah, country yeah, yeah. has some protection, you know like your neighboring country, Ireland, they have some protection. Um, like we, we don't really have that. Like in New York City is an island. So you could in theory blow up the bridges and keep everybody off of them, you know, and go like old school snake piston escape from New York stuff. But in general, um, we don't have a place like that. So to say, oh, let's go where there's 8 million people while there's a communicable disease, right? And it's, but again, the government told everybody to do it. So they did. So a lot of our survivors in this book are survivors on accident. 
they're only they're only there because they ran out of gas because they couldn't get into the city. They still think I'm going to try to go to even Herschel says something like, well, we may go check out the city later. And they're like, whoa, don't don't do that. But that's still a thought process that people are going to do. Um, so, yeah, it is. It's such a tough call. It's like the, the people who survive. Rick, even our hero, survives by accident. Yeah, he's literally forgotten. So therefore, he survives. If the hospital doesn't get abandoned, he's eaten. Or because he's in a coma, they think he's dead and they leave him alone. We don't ever see that, so that's cool for us to, to decide. Is it because they thought he was dead so they didn't need him, or is it because everybody just abandoned the hospital so then when they turned, there was no one left in the hospital? You know, it's, it's a great question to have. But again, who's in charge? Who's the authority? And is anybody coming to save us? And it's, um, again, there's no good answer. I agree with you. There's no good answer, but it's, just, it's what makes it so fascinating. It's what makes a good zombie story. You know, the zombies are always the side characters in a zombie story, right? A good mm-hmm. zombie story, the villains are the other humans. Yeah, definitely. And you I think that, that, that's what's so great about also The Walking Dead is it's a more human story and ha- how you would go about in a world. I think in most films, it's kind of, you know, it, it, you just kind of go along and the humans try and survive zombies and you know some they they get to the end and a lot of them they just kind of die out but instead it focuses on well what what would actually happen how would you survive what would you do and that's the really good human side of the story and that's the main focus going forward with it yeah because right and like you said he's he's got such a bead on what who we are as people you know and yeah. really i mean it's such a such a great book and i look i appreciate you saying you'd come on and doing this and, and we could talk forever and this is only for 12 issues so um maybe down the line we'll figure out another time we'll get, get yeah, a bigger group. We'll, yeah. we'll keep talking i would love to talk my way through this whole series because i feel like i mean it's one of those things too where it's like i said i can't believe i didn't do it but it's also is it is it you know every it, it feels like there's such a cultural idea of what this is about but i think we're living in interesting times and and because you said this is timeless it's always worth coming back to visit so. yeah we can, you know, pick up a couple more. We'll, we'll, it's we'll it's so relevant touch. today. And obviously, like we oh. say, like how people are reacting, it's like, you know, people grasping reality of the situation. And it, it really, like you said, really shows Kurtman knows people. He knows oh. how people will react. It's so brilliant. I know it's, I don't know if he's got a, like, if he's got a doctorate in psychology, but he sure feels like he does. And I yeah. feel like I learned so much about myself, about my neighbors, about humanity with a good zombie story and a bad zombie story. And again, like 28 days later, I liked that movie a lot, but that's just a scary horror movie. We're not supposed to learn anything. I mean, there is a few things like the government's not coming to get us when they watch the plane fly over, but it's still, um, that's, that's more of a scary fast running zombie movie as opposed to like, this is the zombies are relevant. I think if, if I've read six issues in a row that didn't have a zombie in it, I know they're out there. So I don't care. Like how are humans interacting with each other and, and how do you maintain your humanity? Yeah. And that's the question. So it's, it's so good. Uh, yeah. Listen, all right, like I said, I could go on and on. So um, I'm not going to. What I'm yeah. going to do is I'm going to give you, a ch- first of all, thank you again for giving thank me you your time. Sure. This has been delightful. I hope you've had a good time. I did. Yeah, fantastic time. Yeah, um, me too. So tell me, I'm, I've already got links to your Twitter and to your YouTube page, but let's tell everyone how to find those things and then we'll make sure they link to the show notes. Sure. So you can find me uh, at Twitter at Jasper underscore reviews. Uh, I, I talk about all kinds of stuff. Just again, 
what I'm thinking. I'll, I'll post some very random, random things on there, just about films I'm watching, comics I'm reading. And then you can find my YouTube channel, uh, which is just Jasper Reviews. And I just basically post opinion pieces, video essays, the odd review, talk about some comics. And I'll just talk about kind of any, anything that's on my mind that week. You know, I talk about Walking Dead, Star Wars, Marvel, uh, DC, all, all kinds of things. And yeah, it just whatever hits my mind that week. So it could be anything really. Yeah. And didn't you just publish a piece about Lex Luthor? You published a written. Uh, yes. Uh, I did an article on Lex Luthor, just kind of how he doesn't work as a villain and kind of what makes a villain work, you know, what, what makes a good villain is say Thanos and Magneto, two villains I think are really fantastic and why, you know, Jesse Eisenberg's performance aside, what, why he just fundamentally doesn't work. Uh, that was on a website called Geek Vibes Nation. So yep. I posted that on there. It's, it's a I will link to that article. too. It's a good yeah, read. Yeah. People should go read it. Yeah. Oh, Are you going to do more for them? Uh, yeah. I'm, uh, yeah. I, I've spoken to them. So kind of, I think what I might do is as, as I release videos, if it's a sort of character analysis, I will try and release a article to go along with that video. So yeah, the, uh, yeah, the article is a bit more in depth at sort of aims and motivations of a villain, whilst the video is more of an overarching look at just essentially why Jesse Eisenberg's Lex Luthor. Yeah, and in wild. the article, though, so what everybody needs to do is I'll put the link in there. You go read that article, and then at the bottom of the article, the video's there. The YouTube video is yes. right embedded, so yep, everything's all in one spot. So I'll link to that because that's really good stuff. Thank Listen, you. Matt, I, this was fantastic. I, um, I appreciate Thank you very much, your time and yeah. and. Um, like I said, I, I know it's just kind of my show is a ramble fest, but that's what it yeah, to me, it's perfect. Dive, exactly it's, what, yeah. it's supposed to be. Let's just talk. And, um, you know, we're not just like zombies are awesome. So zombies are definitely bad. Um, so everybody can follow me on Twitter at Tricycle Boombox. Obviously, listen to the rest of the people in the Comics in Motion feed. Chris and Dave with their movie reviews and Mike Burton with the Star Wars reviews, which is great. Um, you can watch Matt's video on, this, on the Star Wars stuff and then you know, listen to some of Mike's show about the Star Wars comics at Canon because you address some of those comics in your, in your video. Yes, yeah, I've yeah. been reading the uh, Darth Vader run. Loads yep, he just action, did a yeah. show. Mike just did a show oh. on Darth Vader and the, this very channel. And then uh, Max Burns, Mandatory Marvel in DC, which is also great. I was just on that. We talked about uh, Under the Red Hood, um, which is one of my favorite Batman stories. So check us that out. Go to my website. It's arfarina.com. All my stuff is there. And uh, thanks, everybody. And I will see you next time. Die, die, you zombie bastard.